Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Santa H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 19, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XVIII, the third paragraph. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Janice M., the 12 Traditions, Naomi B. And reading the literature today are Terry H., Duell, and Judy M. This year ID for Sunday, October 18th, our special edition meeting by Sally A. from New Jersey. Practice those promises. Let's get honest. Step one is 8128. Eight, one, two, eight. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither accepting no, I'm sorry, neither soliciting or accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Janice. Well, good morning to you, Saunter, and everyone on the line. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him, understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, into another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the results of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Janice M. I will now ask Naomi B. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Santa. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted service. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive overeaters who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overages Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ service special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi P. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Sigmund is a purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book means to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, we ask everyone except the speakers 
to be should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XVIII, the third paragraph, beginning with if any feels that. I will now ask Terry H to begin reading. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. If any feel that as a psychiatrist directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Let them stand with us while on a firing line. See the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children. Let the solving of these problems become part of their daily work. And even in their sleeping moments, and the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. So as I read this um, read this paragraph, um, I couldn't I couldn't help but feel what they felt back then, you know, just to see us the revolving door in and out. Um, you know, and then seeing the, the destruction of my disease, you know, um, you know, and seeing the excitement, too, you know, after many years of, of working with alcoholics and, um, you know, not having any success and then, you know, uh, seeing Bill and Bob, you know, at work, uh, Bill at work and um, carrying this message, I mean, I just look at, you know, for them to look at us with their confusion, you know, and for me to put the food down and, and to, you know, stop eating and for, for once and for all and to pick up the steps, um, you know, what hope, you know, we gave we gave the doctors and to just really, you know, doctor's opinion, I mean, I have to say, you know, he was one of the most humble men just to put aside, you know, what he knew and what he couldn't do and, um, you know, let Bill and Bob carry this message. Um, you know, he had seen... He had seen enough to know what you know what he couldn't do and uh and what Bill could do and he saw the transformation you know of of alcoholics and um I'm so grateful for the doctor's opinion because you know really, if it hadn't been for the doctor's opinion, I wouldn't known what my problem was, and I wouldn't have known what the solution is and um you know this next paragraph that we'll be reading you know will, will be telling me why i you know why I eat. And um, it's it's really the solution to my whole problem. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Terry H. And who would like to comment on that paragraph? Chrissy M. Chrissy. Lonnie P. Lonnie. Paula D. Paula. Rachel W. Rachel. Anyone else? Okay, I have Christy M, Laura P, Paula D, and Rachel W. Good morning, Chrissy. Good morning. Hi, Chrissy. I'm recovered compulsive reader and anorexic from New Jersey. And something dawns on me for the first time reading this this morning, and I go to Al-Anon meetings, and I was always baffled when they when when they said we're powerless over alcohol. I just I didn't get it, and and with with Terry H. just sharing right now how you know the doctor was admitting his powerlessness over alcohol, at, not in himself but in others, in the, in the ability to remove the obsession from them, regardless of how much analysis they did and 
um, that to me is, oh, it's just, it's mind-blowing because it, it opens it opens up my understanding of powerlessness in a deep in a really deep way. You know, not only am I powerless over my own compulsive overeating, I'm powerless over my sponsee's compulsive overeating, and only God could come in to remove the obsession. And we we are such huge, powerful instruments for God in doing that, like Doctor Silkworth was, and how we could be in the lives of our sponsees and and my God, how you all were and my sponsor was in in my own recovery. So I'm just feeling an overwhelming sense of gratitude for this program and for the concept of powerlessness and a deep, profound understanding of what that means. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. And Laura P., good morning. Laura, if you're talking, we can't hear you. Okay, perhaps we'll get back to Laura. Um, Paula, are you up? Are you ready to share? I am ready and I am unmuted. (laughs) Okay, thank you. And thank you, and thank you for your service today, Santa. And thank you for this day of Monday. And this is Paula D. And I am recovered compulsive reader. And you know, as I was listening to these words, and I'm going to kind of zero in on a couple of parts and and being mindful of the time. But this part, let the solving. Now look at look at here, solving of these problems, something that was unsolvable, be become a part of the daily work. That's what it was. How am I going to fix them? What am I going to do? Does that sound familiar? It does to me. And even, now this is the part, even of their sleeping moments, they didn't leave it when they left work. Even of their sleeping moments, you put your head on the pillow, oh, then it's done? No. Just begun. And the most cynical, and this is what came here, will not wonder that we accept that we have accepted and encouraged. I'm reading the words verbatim. Look at what happened here. We're talking alcoholics. Accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience, we've all lived through those, that we have found nothing. These words are powerful, which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing among them and continuing to grow to this day. To this day, here we come together. But I want to share, share with you the word Mr. Webster put very clearly. Devotion to others or to humanity. The opposite. This is the one that triggered me. The opposite of selfishness. That's what they saw. We all know what it is to be selfish. We lived in that realm and brought it to this place we are. But look at what it says, the opposite of selfishness. These are dynamic words, life-changing words that they got to witness, experience, and see. And we have it today among us. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And correction, I apologize. Lonnie P., are you available to share? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? 
Yes, I can. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, everybody. This is Lonnie P., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Florida. Um, you know, this paragraph, what it brings back for me is that, you know, you know, professionals can't necessarily help. You know, we can go to a treatment center and we can get our brains cleared, you know, and and I speak this from my own experience. But that's not what's going to help me recover. You know, it's going to get me started. It's going to get my mind clear of the food. It's going to help me detox. But it's only through this altruistic movement, you know, this working of the steps, and even most importantly, it's giving it away and working with others. And that's what gets me to have, have like, long-term recovery and to be recovered. Without this continuous work, you know, this daily work, you know, and, and the selflessness to work with others, you know, I, I'm i going to end up picking up the food again. You know, I have no doubt about that. So, you know, I'm just so grateful for this program and, you know, the experience, strength, and hope to pass it along to others, you know, and telling them that with, without a doubt, if they work this program and they follow these instructions in the big book and they give it away to others, that they too can recover, you know, and it doesn't get more beautiful than that. You know, treatment centers are great, you know, to get your mind clear because we need our minds clear before we can work these steps. But if we want the long-term solution, you know, if we want true recovery, we need to work these steps and we need to give it away to others, you know, and that's what's worked for me, you know. So, like, again, I, I, I share it from my own personal experience and, and just the beauty of, of the instructions in this big book. So with that, I pass, and thanks so much for letting me share today. And thank you, Lonnie P. And next we have is Rachel W. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Sansa. Good morning, everyone on the line. This is Rachel W., Recover Compulsive Reader calling in from New York. Um, you know, I'm struck over and over about the um, revolutionary quality of this doctor's opinion and especially, you know, how, how the big book is such a different book with this doctor's opinion in it. And, um, you know, here when he's saying that uh, if any feel a, a psychiatrist directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Well, I think the reason they appeared sentimental is because of the great debate of science over art, you know, of, of uh, research over human experience, like which one will give us the most wisdom and they're really putting themselves out there when they're saying that this is our experience and this is this is what we see from their experience you know that that you know the tragedies the despairing wives you know they've seen this and they've seen these people they've seen the alcoholics find a solution to recover and and you know to me it's just it's just a testimony again to how the steps work in our lives and just last week I, I had some pretty monumental things occur and um and uh I felt a little bit like a surfer, you know, like navigating these huge tidal waves and and but keeping on, you know, realigning myself with the steps and, and the outcomes were miraculous and far better than I had ever even imagined. And um, you know, that being said, you know, I was sitting here uh the other day with my son over the weekend and we were playing the game of life and and uh, the new game, you know, the updated version with all these interesting uh, categories and, and my card, my action card said I needed to describe my favorite cake and, and then every, each player could get a certain amount of money 
and and my son wasn't interested. Like he wanted to just skip that, skip that, and go on to give it. You know that we would all get money. And I was thinking in my head like of saying, you know, well, would everybody be okay with us just kind of hanging out here? Because I kind of like to describe my favorite cake. And, you know, it was just like, it just, all it did was struck me, you know, it just struck me again, like, there it is again. You know, there it is again. The, what I, I just confirmed what I already knew, which is I'm a food addict, and um, I just kind of see the world differently sometimes. But, again, it, it's just one of those little thoughts that pop in my head, and then I let go, and I just say there is the disease because nowadays, you know, I, I have a new way of thinking, a new way of living um, because of the altruistic movement, you know, because people were so willing to give to me um, that I could learn to give to myself and then to give to other people. So thank you so much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rachel W. We are on page XXVIII um, on the third paragraph. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph before we move on to the next? This is Janice. Janice, anyone else? I have Janice M. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Ronnie P. Ronnie P. Anyone else? Okay, Janice M., you're up. Well, thank you, Santa, and good morning, everyone. Janice M., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Yeah, psychiatrists being sentimental. Well, if you've had any dealings with um, doctors, and, you know, I'm not saying something negative because I'm married to one, they're usually not that sentimental. Um, Why? Because they have an ego. They're egotistical. I mean, that's, you know. And, you know, I, um, I relate to Dr. Silkworth, you know, as a compulsive overeater before I was recovered, I was egotistical, thinking that I could fix this problem. And this is what I see here. Um, I'm just like, just like those alcoholics and just like the doctor. Um, so egotistical. Oh, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and I'm going to try. Until I surrendered to a power greater than myself. And this is all about humility to me. Humility of Dr. Silkwork and the, and the other physicians because they're actually, he's actually given credit to, a, to depth and weight, something other than themselves, which was a power greater than themselves to have these men get recovered because they didn't do it, you know. Um, they didn't do it to them that they became recovered and then their families were reunited and they got jobs and they were in the community. So they said there has to be something else. And that is the humility, because sentimentality, you know, that emotion, um, instead of reasoning, is, is usually not in me, you know, as, as far as a compulsive overeater. And he could, the doctors could see that in them. They had to surrender to that feeling in order for, um, you know, disaster to victory. They really had nothing to do with it, you know, um, the, the, it was done to them and not by them, um, and it was done to the alcoholics, not by the physicians. They did what they could do, but the, the restoring them to sanity, uh, to be recovered, doctors cannot do, and neither can I. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. And Ronnie P., good morning. Uh, sorry about that. 
Yeah, hi, I'm here. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, good morning, everybody. Ronnie P., recovered compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, love this paragraph, and um, part of what I love about it is that I think it speaks to the the broader human condition, which is that we rely so much on our intellects, and we do not give our spirit parts chance um, to have a say. And I started to recover in this program when I actually stopped beating myself up for being up in my head and saying, okay, um, because that, that didn't work for me. Instead to say, okay, I need to give my head a rest. My head and my intellect is doing all the heavy lifting in areas where it's not equipped. And what I need to do is allow my spirit, give my spirit sense or side the same amount of respect and let that steer me. And what this program has done is that it's given me access to the concept that, you know, we're not just all intellect. Um, We are intellect and we're spirit, and we can choose to call it spirit, call it, you know, whatever. So it's about, you know, they're both two ends of the same stick, and it's a pretty heavy stick, but I would only pick up one end and wonder why it was so heavy. And this program has allowed me to get to the middle and to pick it up and then it's balanced out. And by, by turning down the volume on my intellect, I've been able to hear the voice of spirit and the voice of God. And the only way for me that I can help that to stay turned down is that I've got to be abstinent because that crazy food talk just blots out everything. And the fact that these doctors recognize that to to the extent that they did and the degree that they did is such a gift and what wonderful humble men they were you know to admit when they didn't have the answers that everyone has always given doctors the responsibility and sort of the praise for having all the answers and they were able to see that um these these recovered alcoholics had tuned into something bigger to balance all of that out you got to be sober in order to be balanced but the concept that it needs balance and um, I have more balance in my approach to life these days. Um, but it can be really fragile if, uh, not fragile, but I mean if I'm in the food, I, I just go straight up into my head and then suddenly my intellect is doing all the heavy lifting and doing a very bad job of it. So I'm so grateful that these men had the humility and the, their eyes were wide open and saying, wow, these people have discovered some, something here. And um, what generous, wonderful men. And uh, very loving because they had not tuned out their own hearts and their own spirit enough, you know, to see the humanity in these other people. So um, thanks for listening. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ronnie P. And we're going to be moving on to the next paragraph. I'm going to ask UL to read the entire paragraph but we are to focus our comments on the first three sentences that begins with men and women drink and ends with the only normal one. Duel, you're up. Good morning. This is Duel, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, grateful to be here. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that after a while they can't differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. 
They are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change. There is very little hope of recovery. And again, uh, my name is Duell. Uh, I'm a recovered compulsive overrear from New York. And I'm so grateful to be reading this because this was me. <laughs> this totally identifies me as, as a glutton, as a compulsive eater, as someone that um, could not control my eating. And it wasn't because um, not only did I have an allergy of the body that condemned me to wanting more and more of the same, and once I was stopped, uh, that I couldn't stay stopped, but, you know, it, this really hones in on why it's so hard. It was so hard for me to give up those binge foods. And it says it's because of the effect produced by the food. The effect, the buzz that I get, the high that I get from those foods is what, you know, keeps me from putting it down. And it says the sensation is so elusive, it's so escaping a lot of times that I don't even get it myself. Um, it says while they admit it's injurious, while while I'm gaining weight, while I'm I'm you know probably getting diabetes or you know getting body rot or you know having uh, my cholesterol go up, you know I I don't get it because it says they can't after a time differentiate the truth from the false. Why? Because I have a mental obsession, and the mental obsession is the lies that I believe, the excuses, the justifications, the rationalization that I tell myself that someday, somehow, I am going to be able to control my binge foods and I'm going to eat like a normal person, you know, and that's not true for me. But I tell, my li- I tell those lies to myself so many, many times that I start believing my own lies. I start believing that this is the only life, that, that Gluttony seems to be the only normal way, you know, and then I have other things that, you know, confirm that. Well, it's socially acceptable to go to restaurants. Uh, You know, there's so many billboards out there, you know, with fast food, uh, you know, come and get me, Uh, TV advertisements, all of these things, you know. So, So I tell myself and rationalize it must be normal because everybody else is doing it. But what I need to understand myself is that as a compulsive overeater, I am not like everyone else. I am different. I am bodily and mentally different. I am abnormal. I am not like a normal eater. I will never, ever, ever, ever be like a normal eater. And that's what this um, paragraph is going to show me is that I'm not a normal eater, that I am condemned to this way of life unless I can experience something different. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duel. And who would like to comment on those four lessons in the next paragraph? Larry. Reva P. Okay, I got Melissa C., Vasa O., Larry K., and that's who else would like to comment? Reva P. Reva Shelby. 
Uh, who was that to repeat? Caroline A. It was Sharon. You said Sharon? Carolyn. Oh, Carolyn H. Okay. And then Sylvia? Yes. Anyone else? Kim G. Kim G. Okay. Kim G. Okay. Gail P. Gail P. That should take us to the end. Okay, this is who I have. I have Melissa C, Rasa O, Larry K, Reva P, Carolyn H, Sylvia, um, Kim G, and K- Gail P. Melissa, you're up. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C, I recovered. Compulsive overeater from New York. Thank you so much, Santa. And, uh, you know, I, I know everyone was going to jump on this part. Um, yeah, because, um, you know, I can't um, tell what's true and what's not true because what food has has done for me and to me, um, or really for me, is so incredibly powerful that, um, that it, it, you know, that I'm a liar inside anything to get to it. And, um, and so I've fallen um, prey to thinking that, um, you know, if I keep my binge foods out of my house, then I'll be okay. You know, that if I, um, you know, avoid people, places, and situations, that I'd be okay. And then, you know, and so my whole life has been diets where I'm trying to avoid and control. And then some reason presents itself that sounds perfectly reasonable um, to pick up, and, you know, whether it's a birthday or I'm upset, you know, it, it could be I'm so happy or I'm so I'm so sad, and that the only thing that um, seems to call out to me is to eat. Okay, so eat, so eat, and you know, for years I always thought that I had a problem with food because I liked food too much, and then I realized um, I don't think I even like it at all. You know, it's like I. I I think that was the lie that I told myself that I enjoyed food, but that explained, you know, it it couldn't explain why I would eat potato chips um, when my mouth was all cut up, you know, and so it, it couldn't just be the enjoyment, but it's whatever that effect was that the food had, you know, that numbing me out, that taking me out um, was so powerful that, um that I just kept falling prey to it over and over and over again. And then obviously once, you know, once I fall prey to it a little bit, once I allowed myself to have a little bit, you know, I'm a real compulsive overeater. And so there is no little bit. Um, That's other people. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And good morning, Vasta O. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Santa for your service, and I, I am grateful, recovered compulsive over either from calling from uh, Massachusetts. And uh, I can identify with this paragraph so, so much. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effects produced by alcohol. And, uh, and uh, yes, I love to have to inject certain foods into my body because I love the, the effects, you know. 
But after having that experience over the years, being in those food and coming out of those things for years off and on, off and on with my diets, when I, when I was into it, I wasn't even enjoying the food anymore because I was eating it all the time. I remember saying, why am I doing this? Why do I do this to myself? This figure in my body, you know. And again, you know, coming to the big book, I learned it's a disease and I have the allergy and the, the solution is right here. And if I, when I would go on my diets and it talks here how about they are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can again experience the, the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks of my, my drinking foods, which they seem other taking with impunity. And um, that was like, I, like when I would go on my diets and, and I, would, I would experience the irrit- I was irritable, discontent, and, uh, and I needed the high again, you know. It was like a vicious circle. I wanted to put it down, but I could not put it down. I wanted to put it down, but I couldn't. The obsession would start all over, even when I would go on a diet. I'd go on a diet for a while, and I might think and say, oh, well, you know, it's okay. You've done so well for a few days or a week. Now you can, you know, reward yourself with the food, you know, to make you feel better, more comfortable. So I'm just so grateful that I found the solution here. And it says here, the last sentence, this is repeated over and over, and unless this process can, person can experience entire psychic, psychic change, there is very little hope of, the, of this recovery. And I was hopeless when I came to this program. And I could identify with alcoholic. I understood a lot more about the disease of their disease, and then I could understand my disease because I, couldn't, I was powerless over the food. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And just a gentle reminder, um, we are commenting on the first three sentences of this paragraph. Larry Kay, you're up next. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Santa. Thanks for your service, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive overeater. So, you know, I mean, this, uh, you know, why is it that, that we can be stone cold abstinent? Yet the thought will occur to us to, to stick our hands into a, a bakery box or you know, jump into the car like I did so many times, like a robot, and head to the nearest drive-through. You know, I, 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 I didn't want to do that. When I told myself I'm not going to do that, uh, I meant it. And this phenomena is, is what we call the strange mental blank spot. And this is the, you know, the vicious cycle of my mind that continually takes me back to the food again and again and again and again. I mean, think about how utterly hopeless this situation is. It's completely hopeless. And we're doomed. We're screwed. You know, it's uh, it, you, of my own accord, I will never be able to solve this. I have a, a penchant for um, sticking my hand into that flame again and again and again. And... Um, you know, the problem really is once we put our binge substance into our system in any manner whatsoever, we set off the phenomenon of craving for more. And if that weren't bad enough, even after the stuff is out of our system, 
The obsession of the mind ensures that we will respond like a robot. You know, we'll pick it up again and again. I couldn't, I was baffled, could not understand it. And, you know, what we, what we'll learn is that unless, again, we experience an entire psychic change, there's, there's very little hope of our recovery. And um, thank God that I experienced a complete psychic change, that God did this for me. God did this for me, and I, and I experienced that change. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And next we have up is Reva P. Good morning, Reva. Good morning, Santa. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I so relate to this paragraph, and I, my understanding of the concepts in it um, have grown over time. It talks about liking the effect, and what is the effect of uh, binging my brains out to me. Um, for me, and I believe I am a real, hardcore, um, compulsive overeater, the effect was like shooting up. It was not... I know, here they're talking about the physical allergy, and I get that, and I relate. But if I just had a physical allergy, I would know to not pick up the stuff that makes me sick. But the effect I get is when my mind tells me I'm screwed, I'm scared, someone's out to get me. Um, my mind drives me friggin' crazy with negativity and fear, 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 fear. And the effect for me is like shooting up. Ah, I am numbed out. I am stoned. I have, and I had to eat more and more and more to get the effect. So, I didn't care that it was injurious because I need ease and comfort from me because I can't stand me when I'm in my ism. I can't stand life. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's an idiot. Everybody's out to get me and I'm terrified. And I didn't know I even had that because I was so numbed out on food. So I need the effect of ease and comfort like ah. And then I cannot differentiate the true from the false. You know, all the lies I told myself and can continue to tell myself if I don't do my step 10 turnarounds, which I seem to have to do more and more frequently these days. Um, you know, the false belief that this time it's going to be different. This time it's going to be okay. This is going to make me feel better. Um, and then doing my step four through nines and then 10, 11, 12 to realize all the lies I tell myself and perpetuate. That's why it's hard to stay stopped because now he's talking about the mental obsession, which is more than wanting the food over and over. It's why am I irritable and discontent? Because of what the lies my mind tells me. And I am so grateful that they are so revolutionary here and you know, saying it like it is and getting to the point and showing me what I do about it. That's why I have to work the steps because my mind is backwards. Um, and uh, I am just so grateful that we have a solution today. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Carolyn H., good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. This is um, perfect because... For so many years, the truth and the false always mixed together, 
and it was really difficult to tell which was which, especially when I ate, because while I was eating, um, I would tell myself that I need to needed to uh, nourish my body, but it didn't matter what I was nourishing it with. So as long as I was eating, I was okay. But then I had to look at the gluttonous aspect of it. Was I eating today as I sit in recovery, I say, am I eating this meal in a God-honoring fashion? Because I can even be telling myself lies when I am eating abstinent food. It's all in the way that I approach whatever it is that I'm doing. Am I doing it out of stress, anger, irritability, discontent? Um, if any of that is present while I'm doing it, I'm not doing it for the right reason. I'm not doing doing it just to nourish my body. And that's how I have to look today at it. Am I honoring my body, which was given to me as a gift? This, this is, and I need to gift it back the way I take care of it. It needs to be a gift back to the God of my understanding. And in order for me to do that, I have to make sure that when I'm consuming the meal, I am in the right frame of mind to do that. And sometimes I can mix up the truth with the false by sometimes being upset about something and not addressing it and consuming in a gluttonous fashion, even abstinent food, or if I keep my focus on the important thing, and I center myself to my God, then I can consume that food and know that I am nourishing my body. Even though I may be upset about something, I am nourishing my body the way it's supposed to be taken care of in a God-honoring fashion. And that's what's important to me, and with that I pass. Thank you, Carolyn H. Thank you, everyone, for being respectful of the time. Um, Sylvia F., you're next, and Kim G., you're right after her. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning. This is Sylvia F., and I'm a grateful uh, recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York. I'm glad to be on the line. I Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive. While they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. For me, I was, and I've talked about this on the line for a, for a while, I was so disconnected from what I thought or and what I felt that I had no idea why I was eating. But as I've gotten, as I've worked the steps and over the years of recovery, what I realize now, which I couldn't understand then because I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false at the time. I was so disconnected that I, I, I needed something would happen and it could be a thought that I had and it could be a false thought. That person doesn't like me or I didn't do that well. So it could be just a false thought or it could be something true. I'm scared and it could be a real scare. It doesn't matter. So when that happened, I my only thought was I need to eat. And I didn't even I didn't even understand that connection for many many decades until I got into program. And so what it feels like for me now that I've pulled it apart is that 
when I get that I need to I need to eat whether and you know my first go to is a salty crunchy potato chip you know that when I have that thought thank God for the pause because now I have a minute to go huh what's going on there and what's going on is I have a feeling or a thought that is so uncomfortable to me and for me any thought or any feeling was uncomfortable for me. I didn't realize that any feeling I had was uncomfortable. We didn't do feelings in our house. If you had a feeling, you were sent to your room because you were tired. I mean, literally, if you had an emotion. So what if what it feels like is that I want to get out of my body and I do not want to be me. And that's what I'm escaping. So when it says they like the effect produced by alcohol, that was exactly, and it could still exactly be my sensation, is thank God for the comfort of this substance. And I numb out, and I don't have to feel or think what I'm feeling. And because I could, the doctor's opinion could get me there, it means that I had a chance at staying abstinent if I worked the steps and could identify that feeling and that sensation rather than acting on it. That is the gift of this program for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sylvia F. And Kim G., you're up. And Gil P., you'll be next. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Men and women drink essentially because we like the effect produced by alcohol. You know, these first three lines is totally about the allergy. This has nothing to do with the obsession of the mind. What is that effect I get from the food? That is my allergic reaction. And I remember thinking, come on, I just like pizza. I just like Oreos. I love the taste. That's my problem. It tastes too good, and I can't stop. And if that was true, how does that explain why I eat food when it's stale? Why I eat food when it's burnt? Why I eat food frozen? Why I'm eating food before, before I even cook it? Because I'm chasing that effect. That's what it's trying to slam home, that we must believe that our bodies are as sick as our minds. Because if, it's, if this allergy is the permanent condition, I have to fully concede that I can never, ever, 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 ever have this food again. Because that effect is a permanent biological condition. So let me give you an example. One of my favorite binge foods is pizza. And I would order a pizza and I would have half. And I would put half in the refrigerator and say, I'm not going to have that. But I have the food in me. The effect is happening. That phenomenon of craving is going on. So I wake up 2 o'clock in the morning and I go in the refrigerator and I eat the pizza cold. And I'm like, I can't be doing this anymore. So I order a pie. I have half the pie. I put the, the um, pizza in tinfoil and I throw it in the trash. I'm not going to eat the rest of it tonight. But that phenomenon of craving is there, and I wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, and I go in the trash, and I eat the pizza. And then I get more desperate, and I eat half the pizza, and I throw the pizza in the trash without any tinfoil on it. But that phenomenon of craving is there, and that effect is there, and I wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, and I dig the pizza out of the trash, and I wipe off the other trash, and I eat it. And then I get really, really desperate. So now I have half the pie, and I put Ajax on the pizza, and I throw that in the trash. And I wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, tears rolling down my eye, and I dig in the trash, and I try to wipe off the Ajax to the best of my ability, and I still eat the pizza. Is it really that I just love pizza? 
there is, that there is an effect there that my body is demanding, absolutely demanding, even though I know that eating Ajax is probably not too good for my body, but it's injurious. And that's what we have to understand. This has nothing to do with the obsession of the mind. And we have to be free of that effect in order to work the steps. So I will end with this. At the end of this meeting, we will conclude and we will have the serenity prayer, and I have to tell you, it drives me freaking crazy. I can't understand what anyone is saying as 300 voices try to say the serenity prayer. I know there's good stuff in there. I like the serenity prayer, but I can't hear it because it's so garbled. That is my experience if I'm trying to work the steps in the food. I know there's good stuff in there, but I don't have the clarity of mind to apply the principles that are required to have a spiritual awakening. So the effect, think of your own history. Are you eating food when it's stale, when it's burnt? Is that really that you like the food, or are you chasing an effect? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And our final share for today will be Gail P. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. Thank you for your service, and good morning, visionaries. This is Gail T. in Texas. So this sentence, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Well, that sentence in itself, I feel, for me, my personal experience, I'm ambivalent about because I knew, I knew before I started eating that I was miserable, but I couldn't cope with the misery. I just couldn't. I was, what they were saying is, restless, irritable, and discontent. I didn't know how, even though I have, have a strong spiritual program, it wasn't bringing me into action on how to deal with the restlessness, irritable, and discontent that would drive me to the food so that I could zone out. That's what I was looking for. I could, I could like, three-fourths die watching TV or on the couch and just zone out. So that was, uh, that's how this impacts me. And there's something else before we close, because what everyone said, I agree with. I mean, it's my personal experience. But in in the altruism of our program, it seems to me that people across the planet and animals, everything across the planet, it can relate to something that is good and unselfish and loving. We know that. We feel that. And we get it by osmosis. And to me, when I got into the 12-step program, that's what made the difference because there was an actual comfort zone in the room and people understood and they helped me become go through this restlessness, irritable, and discontent that drove me to eat. So the altruism, I think, is our true nature, and that we're, this program helps us get to that. And with that, I pass. Okay, thank you, JLP. And that comes to the end of our meeting. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page one. 64, followed by the Serenity Prayer. I will now ask Judy M. to please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Judy M. Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater from East Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for all of us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.